Hey guys, and welcome back to Leadership on Purpose. I'm Blake Bozarth, and this is the show that's designed to help you grow your influence and lead with confidence and with humility. Today, we're talking about how leadership is a contact sport. And our guest is Gina Creek. She's an executive director at Advent Health. For those that don't know, Advent Health is one of the largest healthcare systems in the nation, over 80,000 employees. And Gina actually has a PhD in leadership, and she runs the Advent Health Leadership Institute. She has the job of helping the organization develop leaders across those 80,000 team members. And you guys know if you've been listening to this show for any period of time, we think that the highest form of leadership is creating leaders, not just followers, but leaders. And that's what we're diving into today with Gina. She's going to talk about how leadership sometimes gets romanticized. And how do we help people step up and step in to what leadership is really all about to be driven by something bigger than themselves to really find that purpose in where they're taking people to. And there's a ton of nuggets in this episode that I think you're going to enjoy. One of which Gina talks about why leadership itself is not the goal. It's not leadership for leadership's sake. It should be a means to an end. And she has some great examples around this. She's going to tell you, how do you ask questions that help draw leadership out of people. You can steal these questions. You can copy these questions. They're amazing for helping pull leadership out of people, helping them find their inner leader. She's going to tell you how do you spot people in your organization that have the potential to be high impact leaders. Maybe they don't fit the prototypical mold for what you consider to be a leader, but maybe you see leadership potential in them that they don't even see in themselves. How do you do that? How do you draw it out of them? She has this concept that she calls the great corporate standoff. What is that all about? How do we solve for it inside our organizations? And finally, what does it look like to create opportunities in the real world to practice leadership, to help leaders grow and develop by actually doing leadership? One thing we know, people don't become leaders without doing leadership. You can listen to all the great content in the world, get great training on how to be a leader, but unless you're doing it, it's impossible to actually grow and develop as a leader. So how do we as leaders give others those opportunities to grow and practice leadership? I think you're going to love this episode. Gina brings the energy. She brings the enthusiasm. She's a great storyteller. I think many of you will really identify with her personal story of seeing herself as a leader over the course of her life and how that kind of matured and how she went from math teacher to now being an executive director and running Leadership Institute at Advent Health. A really compelling story. Along those lines, a quick teaser. Uh, Gina tells a story as part of her own personal journey with leadership that actually is a it's a it's a parallel to a kids book that I just released. I'm super excited about this book. You're hearing it here first. It's uh, about helping kids choose leadership from a young age, and it's titled "I Want to Be a Leader When I Grow Up." And if you see the title, you'll see that the "When I Grow Up" part is actually crossed out, and it says "Now." I want to be a leader now because we want kids seeing themselves as leaders from a young age. They don't have to wait to be a grown up to pursue what leadership's all about. And it's about them saying, hey, I want to be driven by purpose. I want to be driven by helping others from a young age. And I can choose leadership now. If you're interested in raising leaders, if you have kids of your own and you want to help help them see themselves as leaders, if you know a kid and you want to help inspire their inner leader, you can pick up this book for cheap on Amazon. All you have to do is search, I want to be a leader when I grow up. And you'll find it. You can also go to cothrive.co slash kidsbook, cothrive.co slash kidsbook, 
and you can find it there as well, along with some free coloring pages if your kids like to color. And if they like leadership and like to color, then you got a double whammy right there. Uh, I'm super excited about this episode. I think you'll enjoy it. What do we like to say? If you do enjoy it, if you get value from this, be a river, not a reservoir. Who could you share this with that could also grow from it as well? And without further ado, let's jump into the show. All right, guys, I'm here today with Gina Creek. Gina, welcome to Leadership on Purpose. Hi, Blake. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to have you on and excited to jump into our main topic today. So Gina, you had this concept, you say leadership is not the goal. And so for, for you and I, I think a lot of folks even listening to this podcast, we kind of geek out on leadership. Like we really enjoy the, the, the science, the theory, you especially, you have a PhD in this field. Yeah. Um, but when you, when you say this, like it's, it's almost like sometimes we can become romanticized with the concept of leadership. What, what are you getting at when you say leadership is not the goal? Leadership is absolutely not the goal. And here's what happens. Whether it is a college student who sends me an email and says, um, can I meet with you and talk about my future? Or whether it's somebody across Advent Health who reaches out to me because of my role in the Leadership Institute, inevitably when that person sits across the desk from me, typically their, their purpose for the conversation boils down to, hey, Gina, how can I get into leadership? What is that secret sauce or that, that equation that you can build out for me? What's the map to get me from wherever I am into a leadership position? And I just think that that is just a fundamentally flawed question. Mm. When we center our intentions on leadership and just separating the world into those who have a leadership position and those who don't have a leadership position, we, like you said, we romanticize this idea of leadership and we actually make it our goal. We say, I just want to be a leader. Hmm. So when somebody sits across the desk from me, which has happened time and time again of Gina, what is the secret? How do I become a leader? My follow-up question to them is, well, what do you want to leave? It's good. And oftentimes there's this blank stare and they have no idea what I'm talking about. Or sometimes I'll ask the question, well, where do you want to take people to? Because leadership, I think what people forget is leadership is, it's, an, it's a, a means, not an end. It's not a, I've crossed the finish line and now I get to be a leader. It is, it is the tool that you use to actually affect change in the world at, at, at a big level or even the, the microcosm of the world that you live in every day. So I can do so much if I have, if I have that same series of events, right? I get an email from somebody, they come to my office, they sit across the desk for me. And if they have a really clear perspective on something that they want to see changed or improved or, or moved from here to there, then we can have a really deep conversation about all the leadership tools that are available to them or that could be available to them in order to accomplish this impact they want to have. But if they don't know what impact they want to have, then we need to have a very different conversation. It is not about saying, how can I become a leader? It's saying, what do I care enough about to actually leverage the tools of leadership or apply the skills of leadership or 
or convince people to follow me toward this goal that I have or this thing that I want to accomplish. So I never see leadership as an end uh, in and of itself. It is not the goal. There has to be a goal outside of it that leadership actually helps you to accomplish. And that's, that's where I think we really get it wrong. So good. So good. I'm just, I'm, as I'm hearing you, I'm just thinking it's, it's not leadership for leadership's sake. As, as much, as much as we love leadership, studying, getting better as leaders, it's not leadership for leadership's sake. And it yeah. ties in perfectly with this podcast. This is all about leading on purpose, leadership on purpose. What is yeah. that purpose that's driving you? What do you want to change? I love those questions. What do you want to lead? It's a yeah. great question. Uh, where do you want to take people? That's, that's a, that's phenomenal questions. So Tell me more as, as you're meeting with people who clearly they, they feel drawn to maybe greater responsibility to embracing responsibility and leadership. How do you help them uncover? And maybe I know you have a, a pretty compelling personal story yourself for how you found yourself in more and more leadership, formal responsibilities over the time, but how did, how did that journey start for you? And then how do you coach people along this journey to choose leadership, but also to pursue something that that matters and change that matters? Well, I do think, I I think those questions are really closely related, meaning, so I was all through high school and I like to be the poster child for people who don't think that they can lead because I feel like that was my journey. I never pictured myself as a leader. I never even used the word leader or leadership um, until much later. So all through high school, I got to be like, I was never the president of anything. I was on a basketball team. I was never the captain of it. I was never, um, you know, our class officers, my best friend was always the president. And I was always, they actually usually typically made up a role for me. Like, I don't know what a sergeant at arms does when you're 17 years old and you're in high school, but that would always be my title, like something to get me in the room, but not to put me in charge. Um, And then I went to college and I remember like, like any other freshman college student, I was looking for a job that could help me pay my bills. And I found a couple of odd jobs around campus and second semester, my freshman year, um, a friend who had started working for a local, um, for the campus ministries office, her job was to to coordinate volunteers. And she said, hey, Gina, I just need help on this project. And I got really excited about it because it, it wasn't, it wasn't, hard work, but it was, there was somebody who had called her office and said, I'm ill. I live at home by myself and my house has gotten out of control. She was a bit of a hoarder. She didn't tell us that on the phone, but like her house had gotten out of control and her lawn had gotten out of control. And so this spark was lit in me where I said, we can change this woman's life in just an afternoon. And so me and my friend got really excited. We started hustling and like going around and talking to people about this difference that we were going to make in the life of this elderly woman. And that ignited something in me that pulled leadership out of me. I didn't notice it at the time. I was just working to try to help some lady live a more whole and fulfilling life. And all of a sudden I was standing up in front of people. I was I was like whipping a group of people together and like getting them excited about this change that we were going to make. And I remember, I don't, I even think that that moment of my own leadership awakening would have passed by me unnoticed if there hadn't been somebody um, who I, who was my boss at the time. After that event, he came to me and said, Hey, Gina, 
I think you have leadership potential. And I was like, what does that even mean? Like, what are you even talking about? And he went on for the next three years to be my primary mentor. And he continued to give me a little more responsibility, a little more um, autonomy, um, a lot more um, leadership lessons along the way. So I would never have ever used the word to describe myself as Gina is a leader until I found something that I care deeply enough to start leveraging things that other people call leadership. I was just like, I don't know, like that's how, that's how I was going to convince them to come. But other people are like, no, you were using compelling communication. I didn't know that. I just, I was just grasping at straws to try to get done what I wanted to see done. So that's how it worked for me. And what's really exciting is when I have that person sitting across the desk from me and they're asking me, how do I get into leadership? I have the opportunity to ask them a lot of questions about what do you care so much about that you'd be willing to forego something you enjoy? What would you do instead of doing something that is um, a habit or a hobby of yours? What compels you? Or even sometimes it's those hobbies that are the gateways into our deepest passions and the things that are going to motivate us to go beyond ourselves. So leadership is, is activities that are beyond our own um, benefit, right? So it's the benefit of others. It's, it's, it's garnering a group of people and moving them toward a collective purpose. And so what are those things? For some people, it's a very um, altruistic kind of goal. And as you, as you probe with them and say, well, what do you care deeply about? What frustrates you about your current situation or situations of groups of people that you care about? Um, I have a really good friend who her deepest passion gets stirred mostly when she starts talking about kids in the foster system. And she is somebody who like most of her adult life, she liked being kind of given instructions, told what to do until she came into an encounter with a foster child. And all of a sudden she was like, we have got to do better by this system, by these individuals. And now she leads a nonprofit, right? So it's not that she was, she was invited into the realms of leadership for something innate that she just like is, but because of something that she wanted to see happen in the world around her then she can pull out leadership and, and leadership comes from, I think, our desire to see things improve, to see things change and to see progress be made. That's where leadership actually pours out of people. So when I have these conversations with people, I just ask them, what do you care about? What fires you up? What disappoints you greatly that you see other people not making the progress that you think is capable of being made? And let's lean in and unpack that and discover how that might be the gateway or the entree into your most powerful leadership abilities. So that's powerful. what I can do with people. That's exciting. A, a dream job. So dream job. Uh, as you're talking, Gina, I'm thinking, um, I, number one, like your story is compelling because you were not looking for the title. You weren't looking for the formal kind of leadership authority. You were looking to make change. You were looking to impact someone's life in, in this, in this microcosm. And then the way that that kind of ignited for you, but also it's compelling because there was a leader above you that saw leadership potential in you. So there's so many leaders listening to this now that are like, Hey, 
I want to call leadership out of my team. I want to call leadership out of my organization. Expound on that a little bit more for me. And especially for an organization, the size of Advent Health, 80,000 employees, how do you go about identifying leaders with potential, what we call high potential leaders? How do you go about doing that? Is there a, is there like, what kind of tips would you have for a leader to say, Hey, who on my team, who in my organization would I really want to invest in and call up and, and kind of inspire in the way that you were inspired by your leader? Yeah, I think, you know, we used to describe it back in, in my role then. And I think there's probably a corporatized way of describing it now. But in, in those days, we used to say, you look for the twinkle in their eye. So mm. you say something um, that's inviting and you're casting a vision. You're saying, I wonder what would happen if. And if somebody takes that if statement with that little twinkle in their eye and says, oh, we could do this or, or we could try this. And if they take it in a direction that you weren't expecting or that you wouldn't have gone in, then you've probably found somebody who is worth investing in. If they take whatever tiny little seed or whatever crack in the door that you open to them and they full force come at it with their whole heart, then they're ready to take on more. So the corporatized version of that is, and, and I think sometimes leaders, once, once again, in the pursuit or the romanticizing of the leadership um, robe that we all envision that we wear, because I was anointed as this leader, I've been given this title or what have you, we misunderstand that 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 job is to get things done. Like, oh, I'm a leader now. I'm supposed to get things done. And I think we actually really have to deeply flip that internal narrative and say, as a leader, my job is to get people done through the things that we do. And so I don't wow. see, I don't see my work activities. So here on the team that I lead, um, I don't see you know, we've got this program coming up or we've got this event coming up. Those are not things that Gina is doing. Those are things that, that people are doing as a part of their own personal progress and journey. So conversations that we have regularly on my team is, um, we talk a lot about 20% time. So 80% of your time needs to fill your job description requirements. That's that's how I convinced the organization to let me hire you as I have this really compelling job description. And then, but you're going to be given 20% of your time to work on your passion, to work on things that excite you, to sharpen your own skill and position yourself for your next role. And so I don't see the work that gets assigned into the people on my team as work that they're doing on my behalf. It's work that they're doing to discover their passion, to unlock their leadership and to discover where they're going to go next and how they're going to have that bigger impact. So I think leaders have this tendency to say, um, well, I'm going to wait until somebody shows me leadership and then I'll give the, the, I'll take a chance on them. And I think sometimes we hoard all the opportunities to display leadership to those who already have it, as opposed to saying, I wonder what would happen if we do this and having that conversation with somebody who is outside the leadership realm or the leadership titling structure to say, what would you do if you had this responsibility and see what ignites, see what passion emerges from them. And if they don't, right, if they say, oh, well, what would you do? Maybe you haven't found that 
spark yet, or you haven't found that match because here's my belief. And this is, I don't know if this is as controversial as it was maybe 20, 30 years ago when we were first researching leadership and we all believed that there were just people who had it and people who don't have it. I do not subscribe to that one little iota. (laughs) I think leadership is right person, right place, right time. So I might be the right person and this might be the right thing for me to get passionate about, but maybe the time isn't right. Or I might be the time is right and the thing is right, but I'm not quite ready for it or whatever intersection of those things. But I think all of us have the capability of leading people from one place to another, but we might just not have found that right cause or that right time or that right um, internal driving that comes out of us. So I just, for me in developing other leaders, it's not sorting them into those who have potential and those who don't have potential, but it's that, that journey of life with them to say, what is the thing that will ignite the spark of leadership inside them that will make them come to life and make them want to make a difference in what they're doing? And sometimes people do that in my work and sometimes people don't do that in my work. And I think that that's fine. And, and I, I really think that all of us are on a lifelong journey to discover what is something that we care so much about that we can't sit idly by. And when we find that thing, we will inevitably step up and step in to leadership. Speak to the early career aspiring yeah. leader, right? Who I know you, you meet with a lot here. And it's, it's almost like, and I encounter this a lot too. It's almost like sometimes, especially early in career, people are waiting for a ticket to play. Mm-hmm. What, what advice would you have for someone that maybe they have something that they are passionate about? You're, you're talking about, uh, I, we had um, a, a guest on the show, Ken McElrath at Squid, and he talked about this concept of what breaks your heart. No, mm-hmm. your heart. Maybe, maybe they have something like that, and they they they're like, "Hey, I have my purpose. I have what I, what I want to see changed in the world. Want to see changed in my organization." But they're waiting for an invitation or a ticket to play. Yeah. What, what what kind of advice would you have for them? In the waiting, right? In the waiting is some of the most critical time. I think the waiting time is really the preparation time, and so. I'll go back again to my own story because I can't really see beyond that or I can't speak to other people's experience. So like I said, I started out as a math teacher and I'm frankly, educationally, I was only qualified to teach math. I remember I was teaching high school math the, the Christmas that I met my now husband. And on some of our first dates, he, he was probing me about where, would, where did I see myself going? Where, where was my career gonna take me, et cetera. And I remember even saying to him, oh gosh, someday I think it would be cool if I could like, I don't know, fly around the country talking to people about leadership, especially young people. I think young people are really, they need more tools and more invitations into early leadership development. But at the time, just remember this, like go back 20 years with me at the time, I would wake up at six o'clock in the morning get to school by seven do all of my lesson plans for algebra two, geometry and pre-calculus. And yet while I was home for Christmas, I was dreaming dreams of the difference that I wanted to make in the world. But during that waiting time, what did I do? I decided, and this is, this is the risk that I took. 
um, not knowing how to get from where I was to where I wanted to be, I decided I don't want to get any better at teaching math because I just, this isn't it for me. I, I loved my students. I knew it was purpose-driven work, but it didn't light me up the way that leadership did. And so I quit my job. I moved home with my parents. I took out loans and I went back to school. And so for me in the waiting, while I was still like, from a career perspective, completely lost and like wandering in the wilderness, I used that time productively to, to hone in. That first year of teaching for me was really instructive. In fact, while I was teaching high school math, I had one planning period that also doubled as a study hall. So I had like four students in my class about midway through first semester, I went to my principal and said, what would you think about me teaching a leadership class during study hall? And she was like, you want to give up the only time during your day where you can be <laughs> reading and doing other things. And in my mind, it was just, it was something to do while I was waiting for an opportunity. At that time, I had no concept that anybody would ever treat this as a career, take me seriously, pay me to do this, but I still wanted to get better at it. I wanted to do that. So that's what happens after you know what your passion is, but you don't have a, like an on-ramp into that kind of work. If you don't know what your passion is, then make that your focus. Mm. Put yourself into as many different situations as you can garner as many different mentor relationships in your life as possible and listen to all of their origin stories. Like if at the moment you find somebody who's, whose life seems interesting or whose leadership seems compelling to you, ask to meet with them and say, what led you to where you are now? What fuels your fire to do what you do? And just listen to their stories because there's a couple of things that come to you from that especially if you listen to enough different stories, you get really authorized and you sort of realize that there is no single way. There is no single pathway. There mm -hmm. is no magic equation. And then there would be less people sitting across the table from me wondering what the, the secret sauce is or the, the, the secret handshake to get into the club. If you listen to leaders' stories, you go, oh my word, there isn't a single way. And it really, in a lot of ways, affirms people in their struggle, in their struggle to discover who they are, in their struggle to discover what they want to do, in their struggle to discover what is important enough that's going to pull leadership out of me. And they hear all those stories. It's so affirming. And then volunteer. Like, I think a lot of times like even what I did at school, um, I put myself into a position where I could experiment with teaching people leadership themes. And I could juxtapose that with teaching them math. So like in one period, I would be teaching them from Patrick Lencioni's book, uh, <laughs> The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And then the very next class period, I would be teaching logarithmic calculations. And, and for me, that was so affirming I had to do that right then to know that I would, I would risk it all to like go a different direction with my life. So you can do short and safe experiments with things that you think might be worth it um, to go all in on before you risk it all. Like there, there are ways to get the mentors that you need and do the experiments that you need to figure out what it is that, that really lights you up. So that's when you're looking for the twinkle in your own eye, so to speak, in the way that my mentor helped me notice that in my own. And 
the way that I look for that now in leaders that I work with here at Advent Health. That's a big, I think a huge takeaway there is that in the waiting, you weren't just sitting on your hands, right? And I think that's a huge takeaway for early career leaders too. It's like, oh, well, I'm not being given the opportunity yet. What are you doing to to create the opportunity? What are you doing to really prepare yourself by doing, even like you said, like, even if it's like experimental, doing the things that you really want to do, being the change, as cliche as it sounds, being proactive. And then it's, it is kind of a, it, it takes two to tango. So we're talking to the early career leaders, but we're also talking to the more senior leaders to be able to say, Hey, be looking for those people, be looking for that twinkle in the eye. I love that term and be ready to call them up and, and, and to be able to give them opportunities, not just hoard them for the ones that you feel like are, um, you know, uh, in the, in the system already. Um, but I think, I think that's a, it, it goes both ways. And I know you, you've called it, I think you, when we talked before, you called it like a, like a standoff in corporate America, right. As to people in leadership, senior leadership being like, oh, we need more people to step up to leadership. And then people that are not necessarily quote unquote in the ranks yet that are like, man, I'd love the opportunity. Mm-hmm. So breaking through that divide and recognizing it, it, it goes both ways. We have to take the action, um, as the early career leader and more senior leaders need to be looking for and pouring yeah. into people that are there. Yeah. Oftentimes my job feels somewhat similar to a matchmaker, but with like very unwilling participants. Like I have so many people sitting across the table from me saying, Gina, 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 I want to be a leader. I want to be a leader. I want to be a leader. And then in the very next moment, I'll have people sitting across the table from me, Gina, we don't have enough leaders. We don't have enough leaders. And I'm like, how is it that we're missing all of this good intentions, both sides of that equation are people with really good intentions, but for whatever reason, they're like ships passing in the night. They don't see each other. They don't recognize each other. Um, And oftentimes the thing that's missing is missing from both parties, right? Like they're not thinking about leadership as not the end goal. They're actually, the people who are in leadership already are waiting until somebody is going to say the perfect thing or look just like them or show up and be the exact finished product. But the truth is that people don't become leaders without doing leadership. Like leadership is, is a, is a contact sport. Like it's an actual activity that you engage in. It's not the book that you read or the class that you take. Leadership is grown by participation um, and not by observation. And so I think that it's really important for those who are in advanced leadership roles to see it as their job to create low risk arenas for those without a ton of leadership experience to start experimenting. I was just talking to a leader earlier today where I'm like, it's going to be important that you bump your knee or your elbow or whatever metaphor you want to use. You need to get bruised up, especially in your early stages of leadership, because that is literally how you learn the best. So I can't, and I would be remiss if I created this completely safe environment for you to get leader quote leadership experience because that's not real leadership leaders try and they fail and they try a different way and they get up and they do something different all in service to the greater purpose that they want to see happen in the world and so if we incubate our pre-leaders if you want to call them that if we incubate them too long or with too much um anti-bacteria 
then they won't have the resources that they need when leadership is real and they've got to enact and they've got to draw from their own experiences. So, so leaders who are sort of holding back the gates of leadership need to find more opportunities to open it up and invite people in. And then people who are banging at the doors of leadership need to get really clear about how to practice leadership even in their pre-leadership stages. And that doesn't always have to come at the hands of somebody else's permission. They can, one last story, I promise. We had we interviewed this intern that um, is trying to get into one of our early leadership, or we call them emerging leader programs. Yep. Um, he told us a story of last summer. So last summer, everybody knows 2020, every single internship on the planet got shut down. And he had this really cool internship lined up with this really prestigious organization, and it obviously got shut down. But the story of what he did next is why we know he is going to be a leader to watch. He got a group of his friends together and said, you know what, I bet all the summer camps are closing down too. What if we decide to put on a summer camp in this local park? And he said that he ended up hiring like five of his good friends, employing them for the whole summer. That is somebody wow. who is finding some, finding a problem in his immediate surroundings and seeing himself as part of the solution to that problem. That is a quintessential what we are looking for when, we, when we're selecting people into our leadership realms, where we're saying, you've You've taken the reins, you found a problem, you figured out what you needed to do to solve it. And we're going to be able to continue to build on that foundation that you've already set for yourself. Amazing. And I'm so glad you shared that extra antidote. There's so much gold in that last uh, bit there, but especially the quotable around leadership being a contact sport yeah. and remembering that. So as much as we, as much as we like to have a formal approach to developing leaders. And we should, we should be intentional about the way we're yep. going about developing leaders. It comes down to how are we actually practicing it and how are we, how are we bringing it to life inside yeah. our company, inside the day to day, as opposed to just having some nice kind of training sessions or the like. So really good stuff. Um, I, I know we're running uh, tight on time here, so I want to get yep. to some closing questions. And sure. the first one is our patented question, which I've seen a lot of purpose and passion from you already. But the question is, what is your why? So what is it that drives and motivates Gina? So I go all the way back to my very first time in leadership. The reason why I get up every day and work with all, with every cell in my body to make leaders more successful is because I was poured into. And I remember comparing my journey to some of my colleagues' journeys what it felt like to have access to a mentor who was equipping me intentionally over time to be successful and how I compared my journey to others. I said, nobody, nobody should ever have to walk through the early stages of leadership without somebody there to help light the way. And if I can do, if I can wake up every day and whether I do it personally or I create the systems that help to extend that leadership opportunity and leadership support to people who need it most, then that's what I'm going to do. So I have dedicated my life since, since 2003, um, when I, when I graduated with my math degree to say, how can I make life a little bit easier for the leaders who are the most vulnerable? That's powerful. 
Love that. Um, next question for you is, could you choose one way if you had to choose? I'm sure there's many ways. One way that you've grown as a leader since you've started in your career, what would that be? Yeah. When I first started in my career, my career looked very different. I was a teacher standing in front of a classroom. Um, and today I have a team of people who lead a lot of different things. I think the one big way that I've grown is through seeing the importance of bringing people around you who are better than bringing people around me who are better than I am at what I do. Mm-hmm. I remember getting that advice several years ago. They're like, Gina, when you're hiring people, you need to hire them to be better than you are. And at the time in my immaturity, I thought, well, I'm the best at what I do. And now I think very differently about that. I think about, I don't want to be known as the expert in any one particular area. I just want to be around when the experts are getting to work. And Mm so I need to hire those experts and then learn from them every day. So I think that's the biggest growth that I've had in my own career. Love that. Here's a fun one for you. If you could sit down and have lunch with any leader past or present, who would this be? So this is going to sound maybe a little strange. I actually think um, uh, Queen Elizabeth from, uh, not the current Queen Elizabeth, but the Queen Elizabeth from like Harry to- um, Henry Tudor's daughter, Elizabeth. Okay. Um, I, find, I find historical uh, figures really fascinating. And she is the first female monarch in the United Kingdom who didn't take a husband and ruled the kingdom as um, a virgin queen. And I just think it would be fascinating to understand what led her to that decision, what challenges did she face in the times that she lived, and what advice would she have for people who continue um, to go against what people's expectations are of you. And I just, I would love to learn more from her. Getting a little history lesson over here too. This is good. Not just a math teacher. <laughs> uh, great, great choice. Um, there, here's one. Do you have a personal BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal that you're going after these days? You know, I'm, I feel like I'm in recovery from my last big hag or, or BHAG. Um, I just graduated in August with my doctorate from Vanderbilt. Um, and if you talk to my husband, it was the biggest, hairiest, audacious goal <laughs> that um, I've ever pursued. And it took all of the energy of him, me, my son, my parents who have helped me through that process. So right now I am in that very short lived period between big, hairy, audacious goals. Um, but I will let you know once I decide what, what next mountain I I'm going to choose to climb that I'm sure you will. And that's, uh, that's amazing. Congratulations on that. Um, before we let you go, where could audience find you? Where's the best spot? Um, they can find me on LinkedIn, just Gina Creek, and you'll find me in my Advent health world, or they can always send me an email and it's just Gina.Creek, G-I-N-A dot C-R-E-E-K at adventhealth.com. Awesome. Gina, this has been so much fun. Thanks so much for coming on the show. And I can't wait to see what you continue to drive going forward. Thanks so much for the invitation. This was fun. How strong is your company's leadership bench? 
Do you feel like you have people equipped to step into the roles of responsibility that you need them to step into as your company grows? This is exactly what we do at CoThrive. I work with companies large and small to help them develop exceptional leaders. And we do this in a way that creates camaraderie and deeper connection to your company, all for a fraction of the cost of less effective alternatives. If you're interested in learning more, just find me on LinkedIn and shoot me a message. As always, guys, keep leading on purpose.